Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Yeah, you're going, wait a second, when you sign off Wednesday, you said have a good weekend. I thought maybe there wouldn't be a Friday podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Remember I started Wednesday's podcast by saying it was the January 21st edition? I was just off in my head. I'll tell you why. Uh, thanks for joining, by the way. I'm Bruce Hooley. This is the We Tackle Life podcast. Follow us on Twitter at We Tackle. Send us an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review with iTunes. That would be awesome. We got real football to talk about, real Big Ten football, and speculative conference expansion to talk about, and Jim Harbaugh to talk about, and Ohio State talking today in Indianapolis at the Big Ten meeting. So we got a lot to talk about. But why did I have my mental game off in terms of the calendar on Wednesday because I had something coming up on Thursday that uh, I was worried about, you know, was I going to be able to do this? It was a commitment I made and uh, I sort of had it in my mind like, okay, um, I was already in Thursday mode, so I don't know why I thought that podcast was Friday or January or whatever, but Anyway, I was off. So I know today is July the 23rd. I know today is Friday, and I know I'm happy to have you with me. So with that, before we get to what Jim Harbaugh said, what Kevin Warren said, what Ryan Day might say today, let me first of all thank our friends at auiinfo.com. You know, man, business owners, you are just missing out if you don't give auiinfo.com the chance to help your business. There's so many ways they can with insurance benefits, with HR counseling, all free. I know there's this hesitancy. Well, it's free. can't be worth anything. Oh, it's a gimmick. Oh, it's a scam. It's not. They get paid by people that you select to do business with based upon the options they give you. They're getting paid. It's not a pro bono thing, and it certainly is not one of those things where you go, well, if it's free, it's not worth anything. AUINFO.com. Use their chat. Get up to speed on what you're spending for benefits and whether it's worth it, how many more benefits you could offer, save yourself money on Chamber of Commerce memberships, get all the things that go along with Chamber of Commerce membership. You don't have to become a Chamber of Commerce member to use AUI. I'm just saying it's one of the many things they can help you navigate and save you money. Would you like more dollars in your budget that you're expending elsewhere and not getting the maximum impact for, I would hope, so auiinfo.com, auiinfo.com, small businesses, two people to 50 people, even sole proprietorships, which they call groups of one because that's how the government deems you. Check it out and ask them if they can help you with anything on your plate at auiinfo.com. Use the chat feature. You don't even have to speak to a real person if you don't want to. Okay, Big Ten kickoff luncheon in Indianapolis. Uh, I don't even know if there's a luncheon. It's Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis. Used to be a great, that was the start of fall. Chicago, Jim Delaney would get up and bore everybody with a 20-minute speech. So in the grand tradition of that, Kevin Warren got up yesterday and bored everybody with a 25-minute speech before he took any questions. The Big Ten is so corporate, so, to me, unlikable from an administrative perspective. And Kevin Warren, Wow. I'm going to get to what Harbaugh said in a minute, but I just have to say off the top, the Jim Harbaugh comment yesterday that uh, can't beat Ohio State 0-5, 3-3 against Michigan State, lost to an awful Michigan State team last year in Ann Arbor. He's 500 against Michigan State. He's 0 against Ohio State. He's not going to beat Ohio State this year. 
is going to have a hard time beating Michigan State in Lansing. And he said, people are mocking him, but what else do you expect him to say? We're going to do it or we're going to die trying. Like, that's the kind of commitment you'd want out of your coach, I would think. Um, I can envision John Cooper saying that during the time when Michigan dominated Ohio State. So I didn't have a problem with what Harbaugh said. Uh, but, you know, I, he, he looked lean and, you know, stressed. Stress takes weight off you, brother. So uh, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is cracking on the workouts or if he's just super stressed. But, you know, he looks... He looks good for his age, but his team is, they're not even the second best team in the East. And overall in the Big Ten, I would take Wisconsin over Michigan. I would take Iowa over Michigan, Ohio State over Michigan, Penn State over Michigan, and maybe Indiana over Michigan. Maybe they're like the sixth best team in the Big Ten. So um, he's, I hope he doesn't die trying. I don't want him to die because he's entertaining. Uh, and Ohio State fans shouldn't want him to die because, you know, he's not getting it done at Michigan. But I didn't find that to be very newsworthy. It's kind of a kind of a quip people can mock, which, you know, people love to do with Harbaugh. But if you want a comment you can mock, and if you want somebody who's in a leadership position who has demonstrably shown that they are an epic failure and they don't get it, and they don't get that they don't get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podium, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. For Kevin Warren to say yesterday that he does not have any regrets over the way the Big Ten stumbled and bumbled through the early part of fall, not playing Big Ten football last year because it was alarmist and histrionic and full of quit, over COVID is no, there is no way a leader could more clearly show his ineptitude and impotence as a leader than that. Even if you think that, you don't say that, particularly in light of the fact that you show up at the podium in Indianapolis, in the immediate aftermath of the SEC de-pantsing you by having progressed down the road to adding Oklahoma and Texas as members of the SEC, having had Texas and Oklahoma de-pants you by seeking membership in the SEC rather than with you, just incredibly tone-deaf and moronic of Kevin Warren to say, I don't have any regrets. We all look back on our lives and other things that we wish we would have maybe done a little bit differently. But if I had the chance to do it all over last year, I would make the same decisions that we made. Fail. Epic fail. Because even if you think that, then there are two ways to handle it. Number one, you explain clearly why you did what you did when you did it. You say, in hindsight, I realized the SEC played 10 games and we were in a different situation because of X. Or would I have loved, I would have loved to have played 10 games last year. We proceeded with the best information we had at the time, and that best information was X. 
You explain it clearly. What are you gaining by being obtuse and secretive with your logic, if you can call it that, at this point in time? You were embarrassed on a national stage. The president of the United States had to get involved, and I know you're going to deny it because you're, you know, you hated Donald Trump and you don't want to give him any credit for getting involved, but there is no doubt Donald Trump's involvement just to the point of calling you and injecting himself into a situation showing a bigger desire for Big Ten football than you showed as the commissioner of the conference. You were ready to fold up and hide over COVID. And you saying, I don't have any regrets, is a slap in the face to Justin Fields and every other player last year whose season was curtailed, whose draft stock was impacted, whose experience was compromised by your intractability and terror over COVID-19. You, that's just, I, I, I'm just astounded that any leader would say that and that university presidents who took it in the shorts because of Kevin Warren and his <laughs> lack of leadership would double down on it this year. You know, you say, our communication failed here, here, and here. Blah, blah, blah. You have to, and here's what's missing, okay? Here's what's missing in that answer that every great leader must have. Humility. Humility. There is no humility in that answer. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. In his book, Good to Great, which is an awesome leadership book, it's about businesses that are well-established and make the leap from being good companies to great companies. Uh, it sold millions and millions and millions of copies. James C. Collins is the author. Uh, so you're an established company, and then you have a period of Despite your success, sustained growth for a long period of time. So you make the leap from good to great. James Collins identified in the CEOs and leadership of those companies one overriding quality that allowed them to go from good to great, and it's called the window and the mirror concept. And the window and the mirror concept says when a leader views challenges in his business, or successes in his business. How does he view them? And the what and what James C. Collins found is that great leaders, those who were able to take their entities from good to great, they I they they live and work and lead via a window or mirror viewpoint. The window or mirror viewpoint means that when the leader looks on his organization and sees failure, shortcomings, inability to recognize its objectives, he views that through the mirror, reflecting his own countenance. What did I do? Where did I fail? What could I have done to prevent that? But conversely, when he looks on his organization and he sees success, he sees multiplication. He sees growth. He sees prosperity. He views that through the window. 
there are the people out there in my organization who made it happen. Not me, them. I see all the people who contributed to that, and they are responsible for our success. Kevin Warren does not understand, practice, employ, believe, or live the window in the mirror concept. He does not. He is self-absorbed. You can tell that from all the plaques extolling his career achievements behind him on the wall of his office, which we all saw last year when he did Zoom press conferences. Kevin Warren is a failure who has failed up in his career. I've talked to people in the NFL who know him, and they laugh at the fact that he is the Big Ten commissioner now. And he is to be laughed at for his egregious lack of leadership last year and lack of humility clearly displayed at the podium yesterday in Indianapolis. Today, after they've sanitized it from Kevin Warren's desecration of what a leader is, a true leader will take the podium. He is Ryan Day. He's Ohio State's head football coach. He is the king of the conference in just his third season. Ohio State struck the mother load when Urban Meyer hired Ryan Day. I don't know how long Ryan Day will continue to coach at Ohio State. I believe he's highly motivated. Perhaps he loves Columbus, Ohio, and the lifestyle that it affords him as the Ohio State head coach. Perhaps he will, at some point in time, have the hunger to uh, see if his methods work on NFL players at the highest level where it's pure football and you don't have to worry about all the headaches that come with name, image, and likeness and immediate transfer eligibility and the new things on the horizon in college athletics and the never-a-private-moment-in-Columbus. I don't know, but I know this. Ryan Day is knocking it out of the park, and I didn't think it would ever be possible that he could be more dominant than Urban Meyer. But we'll find out this year, next, and the year beyond if uh, that is in fact true, because I've always said the test for Ryan Day will be after the influence of Urban Meyer with the players leaks out of the program. Right now, there are still players in the program who remember how it was when the wicked warlock of the West was on campus and was holding them accountable every single day, being a proving ground and a test of your manhood and the Darwinian survival of the fittest mentality prevailed. It still prevails, but in a kinder, gentler, more team-friendly way under Ryan Day. He's a unique leader, and he's an awesome recruiter. He certainly does not uh, take a second chair to anyone in terms of his coaching acumen and innovation. His players love him the right for the right reason. Uh, they love him and perform for him uh, because they feel he understands them and he can help them get where they want to go. And so I'm just, you know, interested in watching him today to see what he says because I am fascinated by great leaders, and I sampled the bitter root of leadership failure yesterday when Kevin Warren shoved it down my throat with his inane comments, uh, glorifying himself. So that's uh, where I sit today on the topic of Big Ten Media Days. All right. Uh, one other thing Kevin Warren said yesterday, which shouldn't surprise me, is epically stupid is that he's thinking of moving the Big Ten basketball and football championship game 
to other venues. No, no, and no. Indianapolis has supplanted Chicago as the headquarters of the Big Ten with the fan base. Years ago, as I said, the Big Ten kickoff luncheon was always in Chicago, and it was a trip everybody looked forward to. But Indianapolis has grown as a city. It has phenomenal facilities. It has a downtown that everyone loves. Your hotels, your restaurants, your attractions in terms of sports venues are all within walking distance. And this must be said in this era, it's not a city where you're as likely to get shot and killed as you are in Chicago, Illinois. And so, Kevin Warren, leave it there. It's awesome for basketball. It's awesome for football. It's an easy drive for almost everyone in the conference. You move this to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, you are an idiot. An idiot. Which I guess I've already made clear that I think that delineation has been settled. But what a stupid decision that would be. Not Ford Field in Detroit. Not the Vikings' new stadium in Minneapolis. Indianapolis, always. Indianapolis, Uber Alice is my motto. What a dumb decision. All right, now, one more thing on the Big Ten. Well, let me first tell you. I need to go talk about my attorney friends at Willis Spangler Starling first because I'm probably knocking on the door of slander, although truth is a defense. And with Kevin Warren, wow, what a what a failure. Okay, so anyway, with Willis Spangler Starling, you will get people who will go, hey, 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 stop right there. You want an attorney who can tell you no. You want an attorney who will protect you. You want an attorney who will guard your integrity character. And you want one who's on top of everything. You get all that with Willis Spangler Starling, my firm located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just north of Mill Run. They're awesome down-to-earth people. No stuffed shirts. No condescension. No, I'm too busy for you. This case is bigger. No. When you are represented by Willis Spangler Starling, you are top priority. They understand every time your legal rights are infringed upon or that you have an action that you've resorted to pressing in court because you can't get satisfaction any other way, it's your Super Bowl. And those waters are murky and they're turbulent and they're scary. So Willis Spangler Starling has helped me immeasurably over the years, and I cannot say enough about their acumen and expertise. Employment law... That's a big field. Personal injury, <laughs> wide berth there. Wills estate planning, yikes, can you ever get into a jackpot with that? Social security disability, ah, my goodness, there's so many I's to dot, so many T's to cross. Willis, Spangler, Starling, and those are just some of their specialties. They are a, an amazing group of people that will represent you across the broad spectrum of the law. Find them online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, attorneys, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S, willisattorneys.com. All right. It is amazing to me, as I've, I think, indicated (laughs) adequately, probably more than adequately, certainly more than emphatically, that Kevin Warren failed yesterday with his comments about last season with COVID. And they are all the more remarkable in light of the fact that the story is out now that Oklahoma and Texas are trying to join 
the SEC. Texas, in particular, has been mentioned as a pie-in-the-sky addition to the Big Ten for years, and for the Big Ten to be asleep at the switch while Texas is looking around is yet another failure by the Big Ten. And if Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, I know we're provincial in Big Ten country, and we want to believe we got the you know a conference that is the equal of the SEC. Just we we just got to drop it. I mean, we just got to drop it. That is a drop the mic moment. If they expand to sixteen teams and they have Texas and Texas A and M, and uh, I still think Missouri was an odd ad for them, but Texas. Texas is the plum. That is, I mean, wow. If the SEC is in Texas, that will not help Ohio State recruiting. That will not help Ohio State any in any way, shape, or form. Um, holy smokes! What a what a what an epic addition that would be. There is only one way for the Big Ten to fight back against that. The Big Ten must add Notre Dame. It is perhaps the best time ever for Notre Dame to consider joining the Big Ten. They've stuck their toe in the ACC waters. They actually played ACC football last year. And with the apparent coming expansion of the college football playoff, which I'm dead set against, by the way, we're going to have miserable playoff games in the first round, and maybe the second round. Um, Notre Dame is not allowed to be a top two seed a top four seed, I think, in the college football playoff because they're not in a league. So I don't think Notre Dame wants to play an extra game to win the playoff. Now is the time to go after Notre Dame and go after them hard. And if you're, they're not going to join you, then you got to separate from them. you got to tell Purdue and Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan and everybody else who plays them, they are shunned. I shun you, Notre Dame. You cannot play Notre Dame in any sport if they will not come and play with you. That is the only way to get them to bend to your will. Work out the NBC deal. Do whatever you got to do. But there's no other option for the Big Ten other than Notre Dame. People say, wow, West Virginia makes sense. Yeah, West Virginia makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Let's add a team that is in one of the poorest states in the nation that um, gets you no additional TV uh, audience. West Virginia, no. Uh, Kentucky, never leaving the SEC. They're just not. They're not leaving the SEC. Cincinnati, Ohio State's never letting that happen. Why would they give up their in-state monopoly? Why would they agree to recognize the ugly stepsister and give her the glass slipper of Big Ten membership? So uh, Pitt... Really, Pitt, you want to add the city of Pittsburgh? You want to add all the traffic cones and the tie-ups and the backups going through the Fort Pitt Tunnel? You already have Penn State, which is the only program in that state that people care about when it comes to college football. Pitt basketball is not up. There's no reason to add Pitt because they bring nothing to the table. If you want an out-of-the-box addition... I'll give you one, Central Florida. Central Florida in Orlando, that's a great market for the Big Ten. You add Florida, theoretically, as a recruiting base. They're already recruiting it anyway. But Notre Dame and Central Florida, 
that to me is a strong, strong move. Could you grab Missouri finally because Missouri should be in the Big Ten anyway? Again, I say, does that excite anybody? Maybe Illinois, maybe Iowa. No to Iowa State. I know some people say, ooh, grab Kansas for basketball. You have to understand that this conference expansion movement is driven by football, not by basketball. So, okay, Kansas, big deal. All you do is make it harder for your Big Ten teams to win a national championship if you add Kansas. And no to uh, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Eh. You really want Oklahoma City in the conference? So I would say Central Florida and Notre Dame. Those are the two. Now, you can say, wow, what about Syracuse? Okay, are they thirsting to leave the ACC? I don't think so. They fit in the ACC. So I don't think Syracuse will listen to you. And again, is Syracuse a must-get for the Big Ten? I don't see it. Central Florida and Notre Dame. Those are the two that make the most sense to me. Almost as much sense as you saving 15% off when you go to HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. That makes a ton of sense. The coffee is awesome. The mission of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is awesome. They buy their coffee direct from growers around the world. Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia, many other countries. Paul is always evaluating the coffee. He is a discerning buyer. I've been to Hemisphere in um, Mechanicsburg when the coffee beans come in uh, out of the shipping container. And every bean is handpicked. And he is (laughs) very very discerning in his buying because Paul is uh, a phenomenal, I guess, barista is uh, applicable to both men and women. Man, Paul is amazing on all the machinery at the counter in Hemisphere that I can't even like, I don't even know what the stuff does, but he has talked me through how you do the different cold brews and this, that, and the other. This man knows his coffee. and You will find that out when you sample Hunter's Blend, House Blend, Java Blues, Jamaica Me Crazy, any of the other great options from HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use that promo code. We tackle life in all caps. Use that promo code, and you will save 15% off. Okay, now is the time that I get to my favorite part of the podcast, the faith portion of the podcast. And I always love to share with you about my faith because it's an amazing experience for me to quiet myself, humble myself, um, indicate that I'm in a um, receptive mindset for God to show me what he has for me and hopefully something he has for you to strengthen you as you get through the coming weekend. Um, I have been lately focused on the word truth focused on the word truth. And we are in a culture now where truth is subject to the whim of the individual. That's why we hear the phrase, my truth, your truth. Those phrases are, to me, nonsensical because the truth is not variable. (laughs) You know, two plus two has equaled four, 
equals four and will always equal four. There are some things that are true and they are always true. And if we don't believe in objective truth, then we have no common point to start from in our discussions. And the Bible talks a lot about truth, as you might expect, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in Romans 1, 18, the Apostle Paul is writing to a culture in Rome. He's writing to a church in Rome that is surrounded by a culture that is a lot like the culture now. I mean, Rome was a very powerful empire. The United States is a very powerful empire. Rome was awash in immorality and uh, individual expression and all these kinds of things that are very true of our culture today here in the United States. And Rome famously or infamously fell. No one in Rome thought the Roman Empire would ever end. Likewise, here in the United States, we don't think we'll ever topple from the pinnacle of you know, being a world superpower. But that can very easily happen. It's happened to the Mayans. It's happened to the Romans. It's happened to the Medes and the Persians. It's happened down throughout history. So there's no reason why it couldn't happen to us. And if it happens to us, it will happen because, as Paul says in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed against those who do what? Suppress the truth. And then Paul goes into a long enumeration of how people suppress truth through um, behavior that God says not to do. So we see a lot of suppressed truth today in our moral depravity, in our self-glorification, in our spiritual blindness and laziness, and in what I would term misguided zealotry. And then as you read the rest of Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's important to keep in mind that as you read the Bible, you read it chapter and verse, right? That's how we always cite the Bible. I just cited chapter 1, verse 18. Well, when Paul wrote that letter to the Romans, it was one big long letter. There were no chapter numbers, no verse numbers. So it's important to remember that an entire chapter of the New Testament in the, you know, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a letter or is one discourse. And so whoever is writing it, and Paul wrote 14 books of the New Testament, you have to read it as one letter. Like there's a point he's trying to make. He illustrates the point. He often underscores the point. He summarizes the point. So Romans 2 is not a separate thought from Romans 1. It's a continuation of Romans 1. And in Romans 2, Paul says... We know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So he's given all these behaviors, practices, mindsets, attitudes in Romans 1.18 to the end of the chapter that personify the suppression of truth. And then in Romans 2.2, Paul says God's judgment against those is based on his truth. So he has truth. It's objective truth. It's immovable unshapeable, and then the people who suppress that truth, he's going to judge them based on what truth really is. People are acting according to what their truth is, my truth is. God's going to judge them based on what truth really is. So the rejection of objective truth is the trigger 
that opens the door to our embrace, our expression, and our employment of evil. And when man becomes the arbiter of truth to entertain his own selfish, shameful, disobedient lusts and desires, Paul says he, quote, exchanges the truth of God for a lie and that his thinking becomes futile and his foolish heart becomes darkened. That's Romans 1, 25, 21 and 25. So we know God's a jealous God. He says so. I'm a jealous God. You'll have no other gods before me. Serve me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God is a jealous God, and he requires the worship, the obedience, the submission, the humility from us. And when men elevate themselves to the position of ultimate authority in their lives, they violate the principles of God. Because when God sent Jesus, what did Jesus say about his authority? Because the Sadducees and Pharisees are always like, hey, by whose authority are you healing these people? Like he, like he had to explain that. Oh, you raised that guy from the dead. Hey, who said you could do that? Who gave you the power to do that? Duh, who do you think? So Jesus said in response to that, all authority, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when man claims that authority, He's attempting to steal the same thing from God that resulted in Satan's fall from heaven, right? Because Satan wanted to be God. And when man says, oh, no, 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 I, my authority, I'm not paying attention to your authority. It's I'm the authority of my own life. And is it a, is it a coincidence that Satan would try to tempt us, to entice us, to become entangled in the same twisted, miserably doomed future that he faces? No, he wants to take everybody down with him. So that's why our commitment to truth must never waver. Okay, so what do we know to be true? And this is a great question to ask yourself when you are faced with adversity or um, pain, trial, uh, disappointment, frustration. What will help you get through that moment, what has helped me get through that moment, and what I believe God provides for us to get through those moments, is to focus on what we know to be true. So what do I know to be true? Number one, I know God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's all-powerful. If something bad happened to me, he allowed it. He didn't necessarily cause it because Satan's an evil force of darkness in the world, and he's scheming against us and trying to take us down and cause us pain and make us hurt. And God allows that at times, just like he allowed it with Job, just like he allowed it with David, just like he allowed it repeatedly in Bible times, but he always has the capacity to grow something in us out of that pain, misery. So God is sovereign. That's number one. That's what I know. Number two, I know he loves me immeasurably. He proved that by sending Jesus to die for me so I could be reconciled to God despite all my lousy, horrible, awful, corruptive corruption 
in my heart, in my actions, in my deeds, and in my words. So I know God is sovereign, and I know he loves me immeasurably. I know there's only one way for me to be reconciled to him in heaven and have fellowship with him, and that is to accept what Christ did at the cross, which provides the opportunity for me to be forgiven. So that's the third thing I know. Number one, God is sovereign. Number two, he loves me immeasurably. Number three, he provided a way for me to be reconciled to him, only one way. And number four, I know that my gratitude, my understanding of that, my acceptance of that, my realization of that amazing deal should drive me to want to share that truth with other people so they can experience the same thing. So those are the four pillars of truth that I know are real in my life. And it's interesting. I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again. Jesus had this amazing conversation with Pilate, the Roman governor, right before Pilate washed his hands, he thought, of responsibility for condemning Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus said to Pilate, this is in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus said to him, for this reason I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. There's that word again. For this reason, I was born. For this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And then Jesus continued and he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, by listening, he means doing it, putting it into practice, following what he says not suppressing it, not doing all the things that Paul enumerates from Rome, in Romans 1.18 to the end of the chapter. And isn't it interesting that Pilate, this powerful, prestigious governor of Rome, this awesome, powerful empire, and he's like got all the stature and all the prominence, and here's Jesus Christ standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate's clearly intrigued by him, and he's asked him, are you a king? And he's like, yeah, I'm a king. My kingdom's not of this world. And then he talks about truth, and I came here to testify to the truth, and everybody on the side of truth listens to me. And what is Pilate's response? He says dismissively, derisively, eh, what is truth? And the way he says it is like, truth doesn't exist. Pilate is jaded. Pilate has found in his own life all his power, all his prominence, all his prestige has led to nothing. It's led to lack of satisfaction, lack of fulfillment, lack of meaning, lack of purpose. He's on top of the world, and his world is empty. Because if his world wasn't empty, he would have responded differently to Jesus. Pilate was hungering for meaning in his life, for understanding, for mission, for purpose, for value. And he had it right in front of him. And instead of saying, wow, tell me about that truth. That's what I'm missing in my life. Tell me how I can find that truth. He says instead, eh, what is truth? And he walks away. And he walks away and he goes out on the colonnade and he says to the gathering people out there, the multitude, the mob, what do you want me to do with this guy? And they're like, crucify him. And Pilate's like, all right, get out of my face. I want to go have a beer or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what he drank, probably wine. 
but he just wanted to be done with it. He took the easy way out. So sad. So sad. His tone and his actions, pilots, indicated the truth didn't exist. He had the way, the truth, and the life right in front of him. And he was unable to see it. And he was unable to see it because he was unwilling to see it. And he was unwilling to see it because he had for too long immersed himself in the dark ways of the world. And Paul says in another place that when we do that, we aren't in darkness. We are, in fact, darkness ourselves. And that is when we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And what is that lie? What do we get? Instead of the truth of God, we've exchanged it, so we got something back. What did we get? We exchanged it for a lie. Well, what is that lie? What is that lie we get when we exchange the truth of God for all the emptiness of this world? And that lie is that we are God, that we are in control of our own destiny, that we determine our future. It's not true. It's a lie. It's Satan's lie. And I'm so passionate about that because I fell for that for so many decades of my life. And it's such an empty way to live. You're always chasing your tail. Read read Ecclesiastes sometime. The richest man in the world, the wisest, quote-unquote, man in the world, Solomon, writing about everything is emptiness, chasing the wind. Solomon was in that desperate place that Pilate was in, that so many celebrities are in today. They got all the millions, and they got all the adulation. They got all the approval and affirmation of their fans and their public, and they are miserable because they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Don't do that. Don't do that. The gift of God, salvation through Jesus Christ, is free. But you have to humble yourself to accept it and to allow it to infuse you with a desire to understand the amazing trade-off between eternal torment and eternal bliss, communion, fellowship, relationship with him. And all that compels us to do out of the gratitude in our heart when we really deeply understand and comprehend it. So that is what I have for you today. As you sail into your weekend, I hope it's an awesome weekend. I'm going to have an awesome weekend. And why am I going to have an awesome weekend? Because I know, number one, God is sovereign. I know, number two, he loves me immeasurably. I know, number three, he's provided one way for me to be reconciled to him. And I know, number four, he's giving me the joy of sharing that with you. So thank you for listening. Have an awesome weekend. I'm looking forward to some things that we're going to do as a family. And I'm looking forward to worshiping him Sunday with my... um, brothers and sisters in Christ, and I hope you have that ahead of you as well. So with all of that, God bless you. Do not miss the joy that's available only through a life that will be obedient.